0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at that's Byte.com. That's B Y T E.com. Start your
1: confidence journey today with Byte. Chinese people are used to rents going up near the end of summer, especially in Tier 1 cities where new grads are rushing into their first jobs.
0: But that's generally been on the order of 10% or less. This year, however, rents in Beijing went up 22% in the last year as of July 2018. The residents are angry, super angry. There's a lot of viral posts of people sharing how their rents are going up suddenly for no reason they can understand, and that they keep on having to downgrade to smaller and smaller places, with one office worker sharing how she eventually ended up in a five square meter, that's 50 square feet, closet. That was all she could afford.
1: Now, normally one would attribute this to the whims of market economics, supply and demand and all that good stuff. But this year, tech is being implicated, not in the sense that tech companies are driving up rents like here in the Bay Area, but that the rise in rents is due to the very operations and business models of real estate
0: startups. Indeed, one of the main parties being blamed for the sharp spike in rents are long-term rental startups like Zroom, Z-I-R-O-O-M, and Danke. Some headlines are even proclaiming that it's the influx of venture capital and private equity that's making life difficult right now for Chinese citizens. Unless you're a full time China watcher, you might not have heard of these companies.
1: But they're quickly changing the landscape of urban living in China. And we're also beginning, by the way, to see a few of these pop up in the US.
0: Not quite the same, but similar. How do these companies work? And are they really the culprits behind soaring rents in Beijing? Let's find out in today's Tech Buzz China.
1: The president's key economic team China.
0: Uh, after whole night banking, I say I still want to
1: do it. Hi everyone, we are Tech Buzz China by Pan Daily, powered
0: by the Seneca Podcast Network. We are a new weekly podcast focused on giving you a peek into what's buzzing within the tech community in China. We uncover and
1: contextualize unique insights, perspectives, and takeaways on headline tech news that don't always make it into English language coverage. So you can be smarter about the world of China
0: tech. Tech Buzz China is a part of Pandaily.com, a new English language site that tells you everything about China's innovation. I'm one of your two co-hosts, Yingying Lu. And I'm your other co-host, Ray Ma. If you enjoy listening to
1: us, please take the time to leave us a rating or review on iTunes, Facebook, or wherever you get your podcasts. <music> So when I left Beijing at the end of 2015, I was sharing a spacious two-bedroom in Central Park. It's one of the best high-rises in the city, and it cost me and my roommate about 20,000 RMB. That's about $3,000 per month. Now most places in China come furnished, and so this one did too. It had uh, okay furniture. It wasn't IKEA exactly, but definitely not designed within reach, if you know what I mean. I just checked. And similar units will be going for about 3600 now, or about 20% higher. It's been almost three years, though, since I left. So the
0: increase in rent doesn't really seem too bad to me. Oh, I know that building, Ray. And yeah, that's definitely on the higher end. But wow, well, I must have been living in San Francisco for too long now because that almost sounds cheap to me. I mean, it would be considered a steal in the Bay Area. Similar condos here can go for more than double that price pretty easily in rent.
1: Well, given our stories about soaring rents in Beijing, it doesn't seem like my old building was impacted very much. So that means the market is not really hurting at the high end, but in the middle where there's more inventory. The current average for Beijing for a one-bedroom in downtown, that's Dongcheng or Chaoyang districts, and maybe Haidian if you want to include all the tech workers, is about 5,500 RMB. That's 800 USD. A two-bedroom, on the other hand, runs about $1,100.
0: That doesn't sound too bad until you realize that the average pay is not even $1,500. New grads, by the way, fare much worse with an average monthly wage of just half of that. Anyway, take away taxes, which are close to 25%, and you're probably looking at close to $1,100 maybe in your bank account every month. Remember, at the average prices we quoted earlier, rent alone could be over half or even two-thirds of your take-home pay. No wonder many people choose to live far away and suffer a long commute rather than, well, be homeless, I guess.
1: And definitely don't even think about buying because the average price per square foot of an apartment in Beijing's Chaoyang District is, guess what, $1,000 per square foot and that's not even the most expensive. In Haidian, which is the tech district as well as where the major universities are and where all the good schools are, it's 20% more than that. And in historic Dongcheng district, the prices are an average of $1,400. let us compare that to San Francisco, which is already super unaffordable. San Francisco has an average of 1100 So what does this mean? This means that in Beijing, a regular size one bedroom apartment will set you back at least 700,000 US dollars or more. Of course, these prices are not perfectly comparable because China doesn't have a real property tax system and management fees are also much lower. But if you remember that the average person is only making $12,000 a year, purchasing a home
0: is basically impossible. Honestly, I know those stats, but it's still crazy to hear them again. I hope by going through the numbers, though, that those of you listening from here in the Bay Area at least feel a little bit better. Beijing's housing crisis is at least on par, if not far worse, than what we're seeing here in San Francisco, and we haven't even gotten to the crux of it yet.
1: No, we haven't. Unaffordable housing is destabilizing everywhere, but especially so in China, where home ownership is particularly prized. And let's face it, there are just too many people. So housing is one of the primary concerns of the government and the people. Trust me, there are very few days you can go by in China without someone bringing up the state of the real estate market. It's just that close to people's hearts and wallets.
0: It's a nationwide obsession. Because people react to housing prices so strongly, the government often changes policies in order to manipulate the quote-unquote market price of homes. Common measures include forbidding second homes, increasing down payments or transaction costs, or limiting new developments. It's all been tried, and at least in Beijing, it looks to be working. Housing prices have held steady or even declined slightly over the past year. But this story isn't about buying homes, but renting homes, the
1: other side of real estate affordability. At the prices we quoted you earlier, you can see that even though Chinese people hate renting and would do everything in their power to buy, the numbers simply don't work. I mean, the only thing that's gone up faster than housing prices in China in the past decade is Bitcoin.
0: I'm only half joking. So many young people who are new migrants to the city, the so-called Bei zu, aka Beijing drifters, and don't have existing family real estate or a hukou, which is an official household registration giving you special rights as residents of the city, well, these young people are not buyers but renters. Just how big is this market, though?
1: Well, in the mega cities of Beijing, Shanghai, Shenzhen alone, we're talking about. Five to 8 million renters. And there is room to grow. Apparently, in Western developed nations, the urban rental rate is something like 30% of the population. In Beijing and Shanghai, though, that's still about 20%. As wages continue to fall behind real estate appreciation in China, though, many people are guessing that China will eventually reach Western standards, which
0: means the market will grow another 50%, at least. But it's not just that. For the reasons we said above, the government is keen on expanding the rental market. And the problem, in their opinion, is urgent. So they've done a few things. First, the administration has been aggressively exploring how to stabilize the runaway real estate market by growing affordable housing as well as the rental market. The prevailing view is that they can't let the bubble burst, but they definitely can't let it get any bigger either. The government
1: issued preliminary thoughts back in 2016, but has since again reiterated in parking working papers this March. And in June, the party officially asked the country's banks to help accelerate the development of rental markets. So what did the state banks do? They jumped in and pledged more than $460 billion in rental financing. That means you, as a renter, can get a collateral-free loan of up to 1 million RMB or 150,000 USD that you can repay over a max of 10 years to
0: pay for your rent. Right, the way it works is that basically, the bank has partnered with certain real estate developers and rents apartments out to you on a long-term lease at a 5% increase per year. That's pretty reasonable. They pay the developer up front. you pay the bank in installments, and that's effectively your rent. For many people, this amount ends up being lower than what they could get if they were to rent on their own. It's
1: nice that the government cares that its citizens are straining under the pressures of unaffordable housing. I really wish the Bay Area would take a clue. But knowing all of this, Ying, what would you do if you're
0: a tech entrepreneur? Do you see an opportunity? Of course. Get into the apartment rental business. It's fast-growing, and unlike gaming, for example, which we talked about last week, it's totally in line with the government's objectives. And in China, innovating along with the government's greater goals is a very, very good thing.
1: Indeed. And who were amongst the first to spot this opportunity? Real estate brokerages, of course leading brokerage firm Lianjia, originally known as Homelink, with over 5,000 storefronts in 24 major cities, was one of the first to get involved. Back in 2011, it incubated the subsidiary Ziru, which means freely in Chinese, and has the English name z Lianjia vice GM Xiong Lin headed efforts from the start. Since then, it has served over 150,000 landlords and their 400,000 apartments in five major cities, of course, Beijing among one of them. Cumulatively, it has served over 1 million renters.
0: Both Kevin and Carol of Pandaley, by the way, are loyal customers. After the company was officially spent off in May 2015, it didn't raise funding again until January of this year. This Series A, quote-unquote, consisted of 621 million US dollars from the likes of Warbird Pincus, Sequoia, and guess who else? Tencent, of course. Zeroom is now valued at $3 billion. Everything you do on
1: Zeroom is done online. That's starting from finding your room, of course, but also includes signing the contract and paying your monthly rent, as well as doing repairs, cleaning, and other services. Zeroom has even established its own credit system. I mean, the company really does try to use tech in everything. For example, I stayed with my cousin a few months back, and he also uses He He's in a three-bedroom loft, and he didn't have to go find his roommates. Everyone is on their own lease with Zeroom. He has a QR code on his door. I asked him what it's for, but he doesn't know. I'm guessing it's for the twice-a-week cleaning lady to scan and log her work. And oh yeah, they also installed digital locks recently. So everything is done through the app.
0: Yeah, I've also heard good things. It totally fits the millennial and digital native lifestyle. But Zroom doesn't just do long-term rentals anymore. In June 2016, it expanded into the short-term rental market, launching what it calls a youth-oriented service department, sounds like we live, and also what I think you'd call a hostel or boutique hotel. At the beginning of last year, it began to sell small home accessories, such as plants, bedding, smart electronics, and more. How does
1: Zero make money? Well, it first finds landlords from whom it signs a long-term lease. And these leases are long. If you sign a three-year lease with Zeroom, there's no rental increase at all. And only when you do five years, you see a bump of 1.3% a year. From these leases, Zeroom charges a 10% management fee. Then it might refurbish your property a bit. And of course, by offering all these extra services through the convenience of an app, along with a good brand, it's able to charge a bit extra to the final tenant. How much extra, you ask? as high as 30 to 50%. I know, hard to believe, but that's the market data. And in the back end too, I'm sure there's economies of scale
0: in terms of the costs that Zeroom is benefiting from. With such a large market and reasonably clear-cut economics, of course, Zeroom has plenty of competition. For one, brokerage firm 5i5j, or 我爱我家, launched its own long-term rental platform, 1zu.com, or Xiangyu, in 2015. Their marketing photos make it look like the Westin. Seriously. The company remains a subsidiary, but announced it had reached over 190,000 properties and half a million rooms rented last year.
1: But not all players in the space are born out of brokerage firms. Some are startups, like Danke, spelled D-A-N-K-E, which means eggshell. This team came primarily from an old Groupon clone called Nuomi, that was originally part of Renren but is now part of Baidu. It raised $70 million from Tiger in June, just three months after it raised $100 million in its Series B. It now manages 120,000 apartments but hopes to more than double that by the end of the year. Now, that's still just a quarter of what first-place player Xeroom has, but
0: very respectable. In proper tech startup fashion, the company bills itself as a data-heavy play. It claims that its rich data allows it to rapidly expand, which is different from how its competitors with real estate roots market themselves, more focused on design and service capabilities.
1: Indeed, Danke has tech roots, but the others are run by real estate professionals. In this world, though, that's not a bad thing. Because real estate and finance go hand-in-hand, and of the three players we just discussed, Zroom was the first to issue asset-backed securities last August. It's already issued three tranches worth more than
0: $150 million so far. Wait, asset-backed securities? Weren't those what caused the Great Financial Crisis of 2008? By the way, happy 10th anniversary to those horrible times, and may they never repeat in my lifetime. Well, not exactly.
1: Some of the most problematic securities that led to the great financial crisis were backed by subprime mortgages. These assets we're talking about here, however, are rental income. It's actually not unlike investing in the loans that we talked about earlier being given by the banks to renters. These securities return about 5-6% to 6% and are quite new to the Chinese market.
0: I see here that they're literally listed as Fangzhu Funqi Xintuo, which can be roughly translated as Rental Installment Trust, and that the first one was issued in July 2016 by Huafu Securities and JD. And before this year, only four such products had been created. Seems that Danke has also got in on the action as well this August, with its first offering of $30 million. Are you thinking what I'm thinking, Ray?
1: You mean that Zerum and others are using these securities to fund their expansion, causing a spike in rents? Yeah. Is that what's happening? Good guess, but probably not, since these securities need to be actually collateralized with lease agreements, I'm guessing. Some people think the answer is actually far simpler. Remember the rental loans we talked about earlier? What if what you signed and thought was an apartment lease was not actually a lease, but a loan with a bank? A viral post mid-August made this exact claim. Major media then reposted it and led to some major backlash from the public.
0: So the rental platforms get the loan amount up front, and then they pay the landlord. But meanwhile, it also has the loan money, which it's using to fund aggressive expansion by offering other landlords a premium to market price. This is in an effort to corner inventory, which then leads to citywide rent increases.
1: Bingo! That's what he's claiming. After the bike sharing deposit fiasco we discussed a few episodes back, people in China are pretty sensitive about companies abusing any money they receive up front because there's so little regulations on what they can do with it. So this author really hit a nerve when he asked, what happens if these companies go bankrupt? Well, what happens if these apartment rental companies go bankrupt is that you, as a renter, are still on the hook for the loan payments. But the payments are going to the bank and not the landlord. So you might be evicted, but you're still having to pay this quote-unquote rent. It sounds pretty wild, but it's possible. Because remember, we said these rental loans are not collateralized. In fact,
0: people interviewed said that it takes just Five minutes to process. So five minutes to process up to $150,000 in loans? Wow, that's kind of ridiculous. <laughs> I'm with you.
1: While the government had really good intentions, it's possible that these lax policies, originally meant to benefit the renter and to increase rental supply, has
0: been abused by these startups instead. But now it's stepping in quickly, right? Xinhua reported that on August 17th, the government asked to have a chat with Zero, Danke, Xiang Yu, and some others, asking them not to use debt or other fundraising methods to inflate rents. Honestly,
1: though, I don't actually believe this narrative is true. And all of the long-term rental players have fought back against these accusations vigorously. As one noted, Collectively, the top 10 players only cover about 120,000 apartments in Beijing. Now, that sounds like a lot, but out of the total available inventory of 7.5 million apartments, that's not even
0: 2%. That's hardly enough to move the market. Right. And actually, what started all this hoopla was a post on social media, aka WeChat, from a supposed landlord who claimed that Zeroom and Dancre agents were throwing money at him to get his property. Both companies have since come out and said that that was fake, and they claim it was an ill-willed rumor. Unfortunately, in China, this kind of competitive smearing happens a lot, so they could be right. But the situation got so out of hand that effectively the entire industry is now under watch, so no one is safe.
1: Plus, while Beijing and Shenzhen rents have indeed gone up, Shanghai and Guangzhou haven't. And Chengdu, on the other hand, has had even crazier gains of 31% this year. It all seems a bit random, honestly. So maybe it really is just inventory imbalance and inflation. Anyway, rents in China are still ridiculously low compared to purchase price. The current yield is 1%, when it really should be 6-7%. to
0: 7%. Yikes. Sucks to be a landlord. But... It's interesting the industry has taken off despite such crappy yields. The US is also seeing its crop of rental startups, although they're much more sexily branded as co-living communities, such as the startups We Live by WeWork, Common, Oli, Hub Haas, Pure House, and I'm sure there's a bunch more. The idea is
1: similar though. We find you other people to live with. We give you some stylish furnishings, maybe some upscale amenities, And maybe some other perks like community events and stuff like that. I personally don't have any friends currently living in one of these, though.
0: Do you, Yingying? Oh, I actually do. But most everyone still finds their places the old-fashioned way. Like Craigslist, which is how I got mine, social networks, and good old brokers. But it looks like that's changing
1: soon, whether we like it or not. Personally, for me, though, I like it. I'd much rather use an app to do everything than to go to a bunch of different sites and fill out forms
0: and, God forbid, send checks. Me too. But what about you guys, dear listeners? Are y'all fans of these long-term rental startups? Do you think they've really caused the rise in rents in Beijing? Anyways, Ray is skeptical, and I'm also not so sure. I guess we'll see if rents continue to climb so steeply. Let us know what you think by tweeting at us at TechBuzzChina.
1: We'd like to give a shout out to our partners at SubChina. In addition to our podcast here with Pan Daily, they published the excellent Seneca podcast, a weekly discussion of current affairs on China with journalists, writers,
0: academics, policymakers, and business people. While we only focus on tech... They really give you the entire overview. Go check them out, guys. Okay, that's all for this week, folks. Thanks for listening. As always, we really enjoyed putting this podcast together, and we're always open to any comments or suggestions. You can find us on Twitter at the Pandaily also at Tech Buzz China, and my personal Twitter account is g-i-n-y, g-i-n-y.
1: And my Twitter is spelled R-U-I-M-A. We'll be back here same time next week. Tech Buzz China by Pandaily is powered by the Seneca Podcast Network. Pandaily.com is a new English language site that tells you everything about China's innovation. Our producers are Carol Yin and Kaiser Guo. Our interns are Scott Du and Wang Wanglu.